This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see all of you out today. I believe the Word of God will bring a treat to you today just to give you some truth here. So if you need a Bible, once you get your hand up and our ushers will get you one. While they're getting you a Bible, let me give you some thoughts here of some things that are happening around our nation right now. You know, every four years, half our population is sad and half of them are glad. And so you see that all the time right now. And it's a thing called democracy, okay? This is how our nation was founded. But I believe too many times right now, people in our nation have looked more to men than we have to God. And so a link that will really help you, Dr. Uh, Tony Evans down in Dallas had a great sermon on some things going on right now in our nation. But here's one thought that he said. He said, God is more concerned about his house than he is the White House. And I believe that's true. That God's a big God, so I encourage you, just continue to pray. Seek God, and America will be okay if we'll seek God, okay? Just keep humbling yourself. All right. Once you've got a Bible... Go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. We're going to go to Isaiah 43, and then we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 1. Now, pray that pastor makes some sense out of this today, because I'm going to download a ton of info on you. But I believe some things here will begin to show you uh, areas that God wants to move in our lives. And remember this, the devil will try to exploit any area he can in your life and my life, to keep the things of God from happening. And he'll use sin to stop the things of God. He'll use wrong motives. And through the video a minute ago, you'll begin to see some things here today that even tries to use our DNA. So we begin this morning, Isaiah 43, verse 22. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob. Now get that right there. He said, you didn't call upon me, or you quit calling upon me. You have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me the sheep from your burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. You have brought me no sweet cane with money, nor have you satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. So what he begins to tell right here, he said, you've quit honoring me with your worship. You quit honoring me with your finances. But also, he gets over on some things, how we've neglected God. And he goes on to say in verse 24, But you have burdened me with your sins, and you have wearied me or gone astray with your iniquities. So what you begin to see right here, that the the word sin and the word iniquity are both parts of sin that go on in our life. But in verse 24, he gives us another one in verse 25. Look what he says. I even I, him who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And so what he begins to say right here is because of your sins, because of your iniquities, and because of your transgressions, you've stopped the things in my life. But if you'll note, he said, I've blot those out for his sake. Not necessarily for my sake and yours, but he said, I've blotted them out for, for his own sake. Why would he do that? Because he desires that his purposes and our destinies for each one of our lives come to pass. Now, look what he goes on to say. And I will not remember your sins. 
put me in remembrance. Now, when he says this, put me in remembrance, what an invitation. You know what God has just said to me and you? Begin to remind ourselves of who he is. God doesn't need us to be God. But something begins to happen when I begin to put God remembrance of who he is. You're a faithful God. You're a just God. You're a forgiving God. You're a God of mercy and grace. And so he gives me and you the invitation. He says, put me in remembrance. Then he goes on to say, let us contend together. Let us cooperate together. See, God needs our cooperation. And in the the, uh, Amplified, it says, let us plead and argue together. For what? State your case that you may be acquitted. Now, when you read all that right there, he's speaking from a courtroom perspective. The New Living says, you can present your case to prove your innocence. The message says, make your arguments. The Amplified says, set forth your case that you may be justified. Now, think of the word acquitted there. The word acquitted means to be declared innocent. And so God says, put me in remembrance. He says, contend with me together. Let's do this together. And he says, state your case before me. Years ago, and I I would say this happened probably 25 years ago. There was a man that um, I began to pray with probably for four years straight, every Wednesday and Sunday morning. And this was one of those men that, I mean, when he would speak, the wisdom of God would come out of me. He he was an incredible prayer warrior. He's stationed at Cannon Air Force Base over in Clovis. And one night at about 3 in the morning, he gets a phone call from the Cannon Air Force Base Hospital. And they said, are you the father of so-and-so? And he said, I am. And they said, you need to get up here as quick as possible. Now, you know as well as I do, when you get a call at 2 or 3 in the morning, it's usually not really good. So he goes up there as fast as he can. He gets there, and the doctor meets him and said, I want to inform you what's going on. Your 20-year-old son tried to commit suicide. He took a syringe full of bleach or Clorox, and he injected it right here. And he said, we've done everything we know to do. And he said, without a miracle, your son will be dead tomorrow morning when all that junk starts hitting his vital organs. So the father says, can I go in and see my son? And he said, yeah, go on in there. So he goes in there. And he begins to put God at remembrance. And he begins to call out on God and say, you're a faithful God. You're a God of salvation. He begins to plead to God on behalf of his son. Just a few weeks before, his son had told his father, I no longer want to serve Jesus. He renounced Jesus as Lord of his life. So the father's pleading, saying, Father God, you can't allow him to die or he'll go to hell. He pleads the cause of his son all night long. And the next morning, the doctor comes in and looks at him and says, It's a miracle. He's still alive. He said, but the bad news is, he said, all the damage it did right here to his arm. He said, we may have to amputate because it's, it's causing so many issues right there. The dad sits there for a second and he says this. This is his, his thought. If they have to remove half his arm, that's okay. At least my son's living. Then the Spirit of God begins to rise up to him and says this. I don't do anything halfway. 
I'm the same God that kept your son alive, and I'm the same God that can heal his arm. So daddy goes back to the courtrooms and begins to plead on behalf of the son and that he'll keep his arm. Fast forward three weeks later. They show up at the doctor's office. And the doctor looks at the son and says two things. Number one, it's a miracle that you're alive. And the second thing, you ought to thank God that your daddy knows how to pray. He regains his full use of his hands. Two weeks later, he he invites Jesus to come back into his heart. The thing that the daddy heard when he prayed is this. The Lord said to him, don't settle out of court with the devil. In other words, God is a God who'll do everything that he says he'll do. And so he was telling him, don't say, okay, if I got to amputate his arm, that's okay. He said, no, go back in there and begin to plead the cause. So put God in remembrance. Contend together with him. Verse number 27. Your first father sinned, and your mediators have transgressed against me. Now, I believe the reason he's telling him these things is because the things of God had been stopped in their life and in their nation Because of the sins of their fathers and the sins of the mediators. He said the mediators have transgressed. So if you were to study that word mediator, it talks about the teachers, the prophets, the priests, and the spokesmen. Because of the leaders of their land got into sin, it stopped them. Now, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about the the sins of the fathers. But just hear for a minute about mediators. I believe this with all my heart, that anything you come under their authority in, even a nation, even a church, when the aroma or the flavor is that of sin, that's what will become upon the the people. Proverbs 29, 12 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in authority, they groan. So in saying that, If you were to sit under a pastor or a teacher that's involved in just say sexual sin, the aroma of that church will be sexual sin. I've seen it numerous times. That exact thing happened, okay? And so whoever we submit our authority underneath, that's the flavor of our lives. Now, I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter number 1. And you say, oh my goodness, where's Nehemiah 1? Well... If you're going from the start of the Bible, you'll go through 1st, 2nd Chronicles. Then there'll be a little bitty book there called Ezra. And then you'll jump into Nehemiah. If you've gone to Esther or to Job, you've gone just a little bit too far. I don't know if that helps you a bit. Uh, Page 614 in my Bible. Probably won't help you a bit, okay? All right, we're going to dig into this. And just a minute ago, I said that part of the things we need to look at is our spiritual DNA. Let the word of God teach us here. Nehemiah 1 verse 1. The words of the story of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came in the past in the month of Chislev or late autumn in the 12th century, or the 20th year, I mean, as I was in Shusan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. Now, those two words tell me the nation of Israel was not good 
Because when he mentions the first one here, great distress, that's trouble. And when he mentions the word reproach, that literally means they were living in disgrace. Keep reading. And the wall of Jerusalem was also broken down. The wall right there, it signified protection. Then it says the gates also were burned with fire. And when we look at the gates, it's representation of strength and power. So their society wasn't in a good predicament. Verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I, Nehemiah, sat down, wept, and mourned for many days. Now when you read here, he sat down, he wept, and he mourned for many days. He was full of great grief and regret. This is telling me and you right here that he confesses the sin of their, of their nation and the people with true remorse. And when we see here the true remorse, I need that other mic, please. If we can see the word true remorse here, he's talking about he hurts. Second Corinthians 10 verse 7 says that godly sorrow leads us to repent. Time out. All right, here we go. Cruel and unusual punishment. So what happens when we have godly sorrow? It produces repentance. This is a man named Nehemiah that he's so tore up in his heart that he begins to repent night and day. Keep reading what he does next. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He begins to intercede. Remember our word intercede means to plead on behalf of others. This one man. The power of one man, one woman. He goes on to say here, and I said, I pray, O Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God. Now, remember here, you know what he's doing? He's putting God in remembrance of who he is. O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Now, if you'll read into that right there, he said, the God of mercy, the God of covenant to those who keep his commandments and live for him. God doesn't break his covenant, we do. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come right back here to first, uh, or to Nehemiah 1. If you want to go with me, I'm going to go real fast to uh, 1 Peter. Chapter 2, this is verse 7 through 9. I'm going to read this real fast because this plays into what we just read. First Peter 2, verse 7. Therefore, to you who believe, to you who trust, rely on God, He is precious. But to those who are disobedient, those who do not believe, listen to what it says. The stone which the builders rejected, the stone the ones they threw out, has become the chief cornerstone. And for the ones who don't believe, a stumbling, a, a stone of stumbling, or they trip over, and a rock of offense. They stumble, they trip or fall, because they are disobedient to the word which they were also appointed. So for every one of us in here in this room, when we don't believe in Jesus or we disobey the word of God, we stumble. And because we stumble, every one of us in here, we have an appointment for God. We have a destiny from God. But the only way that happens is when I live for him. Now, what is your destiny and my destiny? Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. 
You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so every bit of that, when you look at that, has to do with, is Jesus Lord of my life? And how well I obey the word of God. Now, same chapter of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 6. Listen to Nehemiah's prayer. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. Now, I want to highlight the word day and night there. If you remember, one of our main texts has been uh, Revelations twelve ten. It says, the accuser of the brethren, he goes before God day and night and he accuses us. So you begin to see in the spirit realm what the devil's doing here. But when me and you begin to pray and we petition God day and night like Nehemiah does, there's a whole other side in the spirit realm. There's a battle that begins to go on. Now pay close attention to what Nehemiah begins to repent for. He says that you may, that you now day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and I confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. So he repents for his sin. He repents for the nation of Israel. He repents for the sins of his father. And the reason he begins to do that is because our sins grant the devil legal access into our life. And so that's what he's doing there. He said, I'm going to repent for everything. Now here's what begins to take place. He said, we have sinned and our fathers have sinned. Any time in our lives that we individually, we go before God and we repent of our sins and ask the blood of Jesus to forgive us, that's a great thing. But the devil doesn't stop there, okay? He begins to search out our bloodline. And this is why he says in there, he repented of the sins of his father. Now, this was no way of him trying to alter the eternal place that these fathers would be. They had already made up their decision by their choices while they were here on this earth. So when we read that they repented for the sins of their fathers, why would he do that? Because it had given the devil access to their lives. And so someone has to ask for forgiveness. Oftentimes, the sins of our fathers have never been repented of. And when we talk about the sins of our father, sins don't leave just over a period of time. The sins only leave when someone will repent of them and someone will begin to live by the blood of Jesus and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to begin to pray. Now, when we talk about this here, the sins of the father, this is called iniquities or generational iniquities. Go with me the book of Exodus chapter 20. And as you're turning to Exodus 20, Exodus 20 is the book where it's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, not the Tens, I agree with this one or that one. No, the Ten Commandments. And a lot of people will say, well, we live in the New Testament now. We don't have to obey those. Well, Jesus himself said, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill it. And he broke it down into two categories, basically. Love the Lord thy God with all the heart, all the soul, and all their might. And love your neighbor as yourself. So if I love God with all my might and all my heart, then I'm not going to live for idols anything else. 
And if I love my neighbor with all my heart, I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to steal with him. I'm not going to jump in bed with his wife. So again, the, the Ten Commandments are still in existence, okay? In other words, if the Ten Commandments were good in the Old Testament, they're still good in the New Testament. Exodus 20, begin in verse 5. And I'm going halfway through this command, but we'll start there. You shall not bow down to them idols, nor serve them idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting or punishing the iniquity of the fathers, the sins of the fathers upon the children, to the third and the fourth generations, to those who hate me or reject me. Verse 6. But I show mercy to the thousands, to those who love me, and they keep my commandments. Now, I'm going to read this. That was in the New King James Version. They're going to put up here in the New Living. Watch this in the New Living, what it says. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. Verse 6. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So what you begin to see take place here is there's a huge contrast. One leads to a curse, the other leads to a blessing. And I choose which one I want to go. Now, when we see what he's talking about here, he said the entire family would be affected because of what the fathers did. When we look at the human body, it's very easy us if we went around to different ones, we would hear stuff said like this over you. Oh, you have your mother's eyes. You have your daddy's nose. You look like your grandmother. You look like your grandfather. So we're talking now about things that are hereditary, genetics, or our DNA that's passed down. We understand that. We get a lot of our looks and sometimes even our personalities. How many of you have ever had someone say, man, you act just like your daddy? I hope that's good. So see, we understand this. Actually, think about it in this sense. Many times we go to the doctor and the doctor will say stuff like this. You have high cholesterol because it was hereditary. Someone in your family passed it down. So we understand the DNA, the makeup of us physically and also some of the stuff that goes on the inside of us. But when we talk about generational iniquities... That's the same thing. So what he begins to tell us right here is that the sinful legacy of our fathers is passed down. And we can either repent of that and we turn to God and this is what will happen. It will be either a legacy of sin or it will be a legacy of righteousness. And so if someone does not stand up and repent for the sins of their father, that, that legacy... 
that sin will be transmitted to the children, to the children, to the children. And what happens is we begin to live by a new, a, a new set of values and there becomes a pattern in our lives that gets stronger and more forceful from each generation. So God looks for just one to stand up and say, I'll repent. I'll stand up to that, Lord. I don't want that to happen in my life. So you look at it this. This is how it looks in my life. If I go back to four generations, it would have been me, my father, my grandfather, and my great-grandfather. The things that my great-grandfather did, if he never repented of those sins, then it was handed to my grandfather then to my father, and then to me, and now is gone where it's more powerful. But see, then in my life, it would go from me to my children, to my grandchildren, to my great-grandchildren. And so what happens is God desires for somebody to stand up and say, I will repent of my father's sins. And many times we say this, that's not fair. But yet all God's saying is if we don't stand up to that sin in our bloodline and we repent of it, then instead of a generational blessing going forward, it becomes a generational iniquity. And it will grow stronger and stronger. Now, go with me to the book of John chapter 14. John chapter 14. In my own life, I remember being, oh, pretty young, 10-ish. And I'd get around people and they would say this. they say, you look like your grandfather. And I would see pictures of my grandfather and there was certain resemblance. And then as my life went on, I began to have them say this. Not only do you look like your grandfather, you act like your grandfather. My grandfather died in his early 50s of alcoholism. And if you've gone here very long, you you remember the struggles in my own life because of alcohol. And so what begins to happen many times is we begin to bend or to lean in that direction. Whether we realize it or not. How many of you have ever had stuff in your life? And I will talk about this more in depth next week. But in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul said this. The things I want to do, I don't do. But the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. How many of you have ever been there? I've been there. And I believe a lot of that comes from generational stuff that's passed down to us. So as generational looks and characteristics are handed down, so is sin. And so it's interesting that Nehemiah prayed and he said, our fathers have sinned. And then we get here in this passage or in the book of Exodus 20 and it says, for the sins of the iniquities of fathers are handed down to the children. Look at this. This is John 14, verse number 30. Just one verse here. This is the Lord Jesus. He's talking to his disciples and he said, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. The ruler of this world is the devil, okay? That's John 12, 31. He said, the ruler of the world is coming, and he, the ruler of this world, has nothing in me. Now, this is what Jesus said. Listen to what that phrase, he has nothing in me, means. He has no power over me. 
He has no hold on me. The Amplified says he has no claim on me. Okay, so we sit there and listen to what Jesus said. He has no authority over me. Why? Because if you look at Jesus' bloodline, Jesus came from Father God. Father God was perfect. And then we look at Jesus' bloodline. He never opened the door to sin. So you know what he's telling the devil? You have no hold on me. You have no claim over me because my life and my bloodline is clean. Now, a lot of times we look at this and when you see that the sins of the father are passed down, many times women have the thought, well, we don't play in this. Oh, yeah, you do. The sins that a woman will go through are a result of the sins of the father. So in my wife's situation, the sins of her father impacted her life. And with her mother, the sins of her father impacted her life. So none of us are exempt. It just kind of crosses back and forth. So when I begin to look at this, I thought, okay, Jesus' bloodline was cleansed on his father's side. But if we were to look at the bloodline of Jesus Christ with his mother, you're talking about interesting and crazy. You think your bloodline's messed up. Listen to this about Jesus. This is all Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus or the family tree. And it will say something like this. And Judah begot Perez and Zerar by Tamar. So you say, who in the world's Tamar? Now this is crazy. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. So pastor, you're telling me this man named Judah had a sexual relationship with his daughter Tamar and had issue, had a babies? That's exactly what I'm telling you. She uh, hid herself, camouflaged herself like a, that of a prostitute. Now this is Jesus' bloodline. Then the next thing we'll say, there was a guy named Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Who's Rahab? Rahab was a harlot. Jesus got some crazy sexual stuff in his family bloodline. Then it'll say this, and David begot Solomon from Bathsheba. Well, how was David and Bathsheba's relationship started? It was started out of adultery. So when you begin to look at Jesus' family tree, it's got sexual sin all over it. But if you go back and look, uh, Judah, Salmon, and even David, every one of them repented of their sins. They came back to the things of God. I say that to say this, every one of us in here, we have stuff from our bloodline, stuff that you may not even know, stuff that's never been repented for. So we see Nehemiah stand up and say, Father God, I'll repent for the sins of our father. I want to see victory in life. I want to see the things that God move. So uh, probably two months ago, I come strolling in here one day. And the Lord begins to say, I want you to clean your bloodline. I want you to begin to repent. So I stayed in here and I worshiped the Lord. And I was sitting on one of these steps right here. And I said this, just this real simple. I said, Father God, I I repent of the sins of my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. I repent of my sins. We've sinned. And so I sat here and there were certain things in my family bloodline that I, I knew about. 
I knew of certain sins that had been dominant in my family bloodline. And so I prayed for those and I asked God to forgive. And then I said, Father God, would you reveal to me anything that I've never prayed or repented of? I couldn't believe some of the hideous stuff that God began to reveal to me that had been in my bloodline. I began to repent. I began to repent. I began to weep and I realized, oh my gosh, my bloodline was some messed up folk. Two days later, I talked to my brother on the phone and he said, what's been going on? I said, dude, I've been repenting. I said, I've been repenting for my sins. I said, I got into some stuff the other day. I began to repent of my bloodline, our bloodline. And he said, I've done that recently too. And he said, I don't know about you, but some of the stuff I repented of about made me throw up. And I said, that's exactly what happened. And so what begins to occur right here on earth, God says, contend together with me. Stand together with me. Now, I'm going to get in this a lot more deep next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. You don't want to miss. Because these are truths that I believe the devil, again, will exploit anything he can to stop the will of God to be done in our lives. Sin in my life, wrong motives like Job had, but also when we allow generational iniquities to begin to flow in our lives. And next week, I'm going to give a list of ones that have become predominant. Things like this that many times people will say, well, my dad was angry and I find myself being angry just like my father. See, when things like that start coming alive and you begin to realize these are patterns in my family, it's a good sign it's a generational iniquity. I will tell you this. There is no perfect bloodline but Jesus. So when we repent of our sins, we get born again. We say, Lord Jesus, give me a blood transfusion. Put in me the, the precious blood. Remember uh, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, 19 and 20, somewhere in there he says, we weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.